Well, glad to be back with you. Good to see you in church today. Let me just have a little competition out of the gate. How many of you had water in places in your home over the last few days where you don't desire water to be? Raise your hand. Okay, three or four of us. How many of you stayed scotch dry? Okay, well, that's good news. Look like most of us. Art, our guitarist, had his basement flood. Um, so pray with Art that he will get her dried out, and I don't think there was a lot of damage done. How many of you would say this? At some point in my life, I've had water in my basement. That's about all of us. Isn't that terrible? It's just like the worst. I have a sump pump backup to the sump pump backup. <laughs> Homie, don't play that, right? Battery-powered, man, that's just terrible. So uh, hopefully you're staying afloat. These are quite the, uh, the rains we're getting. Uh, we're in Daniel chapter 9. If you brought your Bibles today, Daniel chapter 9. While you're turning there, I want to tell you a story. Larry Awe was the guy's name, A-W-E, Larry Awe. You probably haven't heard of him, and that's because he was a maintenance worker at the Milwaukee Capitol Court Mall. Anybody ever been to the Milwaukee Capitol Court Mall? All right. One person in the room. Uh, Mary. Good to see you, Mary. So this guy, um, right before it was to be demolished, um, so Mary, you are indicating your age a little bit here by answering yes to the question you're aware. She's smiling at me. Um, there was uh, some old boxes in a closet. He was just kind of rummaging through these boxes. And he found a pair of sneakers uh, kind of wrapped up in a trash bag in one of the closets in one of the stores in the mall that was to be torn down. They were used. They showed obvious signs of wear. But as he looked more closely... He recognized, believe it or not, Michael Jordan's signature on the side of one of these sneakers, size 13 shoes, um, with the inscription, my very best, my very best, Michael Jordan. Turns out they were an authentic pair of the original Air Jordan 1s that Jordan himself wore for a while, Nike had then loaned the sneakers to the store in Milwaukee to display them. And at some point, they got stuff in the trash bag and put away in a closet. And for 20 years, they'd sat there. Over those 20 years, they'd come to be valued at $20,000 for a pair of sneakers. Church, what I want to communicate... Uh, this morning, and this illustration certainly has limitations, but prayer, prayer is the $20,000 pair of sneakers locked away in some old closet. Something that is of immense value to us, if only we recognize its value. Um, by some, prayer has been definitely undervalued, in terms of its resourcefulness. Others have neglected prayer. For some, they've outright discarded it. They wouldn't think of, of praying. 
Um, but the scriptures teach us that many of God's blessings are actually activated through prayer. Now, I'm not uh, a name it and claim it guy. I'm not, uh, we're, we're not a, a name it and claim it church. We're not into um, what they would call, um, uh, the word is escaping me, um, theology. Somebody help me. Prosperity theology, whereby I'm driving down the road and I see an Audi Q7 and I say, in the name of Jesus, give me one of those, Lord. And there are churches that teach you to pray that way, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm talking about claiming promises that God has already spoken. That's what I'm talking about. And that's 100% legitimate. We can do that as God's people. We can hold God accountable for what he's already said. Did you know that? And he said a lot to us in his word. Now, obviously, if we're not reading the word, we don't know what promises we can claim, right? So there has to be a desire to be in God's word to discover what God has promised us so that we can pray what God's already promised. When you find a promise in God's word, you can pray that promise into existence. I'll show you how Daniel does that today. Um, I've told you before, it's been said that rather than reading our way through the Bible, we ought to be praying our way through the Bible because there are more than 3,000 promises in God's word, many of them sitting dormant in the closet, if you will, undervalued, under-resourced. It's our job to dig them out. It's our job to find them, to mine them, and to pray these prayers. Billy Graham said, prayer is the most important thing we can ever do. And if I could do my ministry over again, he said this later in his life, I would pray a lot more than I preached. I would pray a lot more than I preached. It's pretty significant, actually, the number of saints who have said something in this or to this effect later in life. They seem to discover that prayer is the real place where God's power resides. Um, all that to say, we're not really surprised at the end of Daniel's book, uh, next week is our last week, that Daniel circles back around to this idea of the power of prayer. This has been a running theme throughout his life. He gives us, uh, I think, four action steps that we're going to be take away from today's text. This passage is kind of one of a kind in a sense that we get to kind of pull the curtain back and look behind the scenes on what's happening in Daniel's prayers. Uh, verses 1 and 2, I'll begin reading in chapter 9. If you're with me, uh, read along. I'll have it on the screen behind me for you if you don't have your Bible. In the first year of King Darius, I, Daniel, verse 2, perceived in the books that the number of years, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem is 70, is 70 years. What on earth is he talking about? 
uh, Daniel reads in Jeremiah a prophecy that essentially says God would send Israel into captivity for 70 years. So, so Daniel, knowing that he's one of these individuals in captivity, he starts calculating in his head, well, shoot, how long have I been here? I mean, I've been here a long time. If God said we'd only be in captivity for seven years, let me start. And he starts counting the decades. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six. Seven. I've been here 70 years. God said to Jeremiah that only 70 years were appointed for Israel's desolation. I've been here 70 years. I'm holding on to this promise. God, I ask you, according to the promise you made, 70 years, take us home. Take us out of Babylon. You said it. Just like you promised. Daniel 9 verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God. Seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commands and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Hey, real quick, just as an aside, did you notice what Daniel did here? Daniel, this isn't the main point for today, but I want you to notice something about the way that he prayed. He confesses all of these things, all of these things, but based on what we know about Daniel's life, do any of the things that Daniel's confessing, Daniel's confessing describe Daniel himself? They do not. Why is Daniel confessing the sins of others? He hadn't, quote, done wrong. He hadn't acted wickedly. He hadn't rebelled. What is Daniel doing here? Daniel is doing what a great leader does. Daniel is making a problem his responsibility even when it's not his fault. Let me say that again. A great leader will make a problem his or her responsibility even if it wasn't his or her fault. I mean, isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ did in coming to earth, in taking on human flesh? Did Jesus or didn't Jesus take responsibility for something that was not Jesus' fault? Amen? It's hard to argue with that. It's what Daniel's doing. It's what leaders do. 
at times in the mill church's past uh, and at times in the mill church's future, we've had problems and we will still have problems. Every church has problems. There's no question about it. Every church has warts, we would say in the South. You just got to, you don't know where they are oftentimes, but they do. And some of them may not be your fault, right? But here's a question I would ask you. Are you going to be a great leader? Are you going to take responsibility in your church for what wasn't your fault and help repair and fix and mend? Or are you going to respond like a Pharisee? Are you going to respond by sitting around and talking about how bad everything is? Leaders, you could apply this to your job. You could apply this to your relationships. Leaders solve and fix and remedy and reconcile and heal. Amen? All right. Back to Daniel's prayer. Verse 7. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame. Verse 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. Verse 13. As it's written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Did you notice something else that Daniel did there? Daniel did what a great leader does today. Daniel presented they problems as we problems. Daniel presented they problems as we problems. In those three verses I just read, there are three instances where Daniel could have said they, and instead he says we. Was there any we in it? <laughs> no, there was not. But yet Daniel, as a leader, assumed responsibility for problems that he didn't cause. He says we instead of they. Verse 15. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate notice that last sentence this isn't the verse 
where the Lutherans derive their benediction or their blessing. Um, But it is a prayer of Daniel that was based upon the verse from which Lutherans derive their benediction or blessing. What is Daniel doing? Daniel is reciting in his own words, Numbers 6, and he's praying God's promises back to God. Daniel is asking God, God, what you have already promised, will you do it? You said it. Will you do it? Did you know that we can do this with God? Did you know he's big enough? Did you know God wants us to hold him accountable for what he said? Of course we can do this. We can even use the same verse, this, these words that Daniel prayed, and pray this for our church, for our sanctuary. It could look something like this. Lord, make your face shine upon this sanctuary. Lord, we don't want this space to ever be desolate. Lord, we want people to come to Christ in this room. We want hands to be uh, just lifted high in this place. We want people to become less dignified in this space, that they would care less what people thought of them, that they would lift up hands in your sanctuary to glorify you, to honor you, Lord, to revere you, make your face to shine upon the sanctuary at the Mill Church. We can pray prayers like that. Of course we can. Bless us in Stratford, Lord. Make your face shine upon the sanctuary. And we use that figuratively because they don't have a sanctuary yet. In Edgar. How many of you know it's easier to pray Edgar for Edgar when you win the football game? From Saturday midday, right? It's not easy to pray for Edgar in the years you lose to him. While we're on a winning streak, let's just go ahead and pray for Edgar right now. I'm just teasing (laughs) Since it's easy. Daniel 9 verses 18 through 23. Oh my God. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. In other words, God, your reputation is at stake. You said that when your children called on you, you'd heal them, you'd forgive them, you'd come and help them. He continues, For we did not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, O Lord, hear, forgive, pay attention, act, delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, this is where it gets interesting. Confessing my sin. Ezekiel said Daniel was one of the three most righteous people in all the Bible. 
Yet here he is confessing his sins. Did you know that God doesn't really care a whole lot about self-righteousness? Do you know that? He'd rather us be humble and honest and vulnerable. There was a guy in a story that Jesus told in one or more of the Gospels. Two guys came into church. One of them was sitting at the front trying to be noticed, lifting his hands, praying fervently, eloquently, wanted to be seen by everybody in attendance, praying loud. The other guy is in the back, face down, crying because he's a sinner in need of God's mercy. Do you know that that's the posture of heart that God prefers? Not people that think they have it all together. Not those that think that they're self-made. Not those that think that they're in, in, indivisible, or not rather indivisible, but uh, impenetrable, impervious. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of the people of Israel and presenting my plea, verse 20, before the Lord. While I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, here's where it gets interesting, who might seem the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me to understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. Now, we read these few verses. We wonder what in the world is happening here. Because verse 23 tells us that at the beginning of Daniel's prayer or plea for mercy, a word went out. A word, so, essentially, God sent Gabriel to help Daniel the moment he started praying. And, and yet, somehow, verse 21 says that uh, in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen the vision at first, came to me in swift flight. So he's like in a hurry, flying in this, this angel. And Daniel says, or rather Gabriel says, Daniel, you're greatly loved. Some translations say treasured by God. Treasured by God. How amazing would it be if an angel... If an angel came swine, I can't talk this morning. If an angel came flying in swiftly to tell you that you were treasured by God, would anybody besides me just be like life made? Like seeing an angel, having the angel, knowing the angel was carrying a message directly from the throne room of heaven, saying, You are loved, you are treasured. You are adored. That's the delivery that Daniel was privied to receive. Think about Daniel's life for a minute. Daniel had been kidnapped. Daniel had been enslaved. Daniel had likely been castrated. How many guys in the room think, that's cool, no big deal? Like, that's a pretty big deal. Castrated, living under oppression. He's been betrayed by his co-workers. He's living in constant danger, survived several regime changes in the Babylonian Empire in, in, in 70, 80 years, and yet he hears from this angel in his old age, you, Daniel, are greatly loved. 
Did you know that God's love for you is not measured by a life of ease? Did you know that it's not a direct correlation? Like the people that have the easiest lives on the y-axis, God loves the most on the x-axis. That's not the case. But we think that way sometimes, don't we? Like, man, they have it good. Man, God must love them. Look at how difficult Daniel's life is, and yet he hears, you are loved. Daniel's life is no stretch of easy. Yet he's greatly treasured by God. Understand, church, what God gave Daniel was indeed greater than earthly ease. What God gave Daniel was his presence. God's companionship in this life is greater than our ease. Than our comfort. Than our health. Than our affluence. Than our beautiful, established, hardworking, married, you name it, children. Greater is God's walking along with us through this life. This is what Daniel's discovering. So don't look at the difficulty of your life and say, God must not love me. And don't look at the ease of your life and say, oh, God must love me. Bunches. The cross and the tomb, I would submit, are greater evidence that you're God's treasure than any kind of ease this life can bring. Furthermore, I want you to see today Daniel's confidence that he's loved and treasured by God. That was the secret sauce for his consistency in prayer. See, here's how we think about prayer, and I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we think, that our failure in prayer, or we might put it this way, that our prayerlessness, prayerlessness comes because we aren't disciplined. It's the same reason that we forget to set the coffee pot to make coffee in the mornings the night before and end up doing it when we're groggy. It's the same reason that our mudroom always looks messy and, and the tennis shoes aren't in order. Yeah, my prayerlessness is probably because I'm an undisciplined person, we think. Um, I think it's more likely that prayerlessness is us failing to believe that God treasures us. I think we don't know or don't remember how much God loves us so we don't respond with a desire to communicate with him. I think that's more what it is. Um, when we believe that God loves us, when we believe that God listens to us, 
When we believe that he desires to work through our prayers, we instinctively begin to do what all the self-discipline in the world couldn't possibly coerce us to do. When we know we're greatly loved, we'll pray when we're happy. We'll pray when, when, we've, when we're in tragedy. We'll pray when all hell is breaking loose. We'll pray when we're anxious and depressed. When, when we see God working. When we don't see God working. So with that said, I'm going to quickly give you four principles of prayer from Daniel 9. And I hope you interpret these principles through the lens of not four check boxes that I need to check off in order to have a great prayer life. Because that's a works mentality, right? That's, that's laboring to pray. We don't want to labor to pray. We don't want to be devoted to some discipline. We want to be disciplined to devotion. The devotion is what's most important. Our relationship, sincere relationship with Jesus is what's most important. So with that lens, here's four uh, principles of prayer from Daniel 9. First, we've already said it. Root your prayer in God's promises. As I noted, Daniel's prayer was inspired by discovering a promise from God. From Jeremiah for Daniel, from, from Deuteronomy, from, from Numbers. Martin Luther would later come along and define prayer in a very simple way, in a very similar way uh, to Daniel uh, in the way that he acted out prayer. Luther said this, Prayer is catching God in his words. Prayer is catching God in his words. Um, let me ask you this. Do our kids catch us in our words or don't they? Parents? I'd submit that they do. Not a day goes by. But dad, you said... You said, but dad, mom said, but mom said, it doesn't matter how offhanded the remark was by dad or mom. We may have been casually implying something, just talking out of our heads, and they will hold us to our promises, will they not? When a kid says, let's go to, for example, anybody ever been to Dave and Buster's arcade? Let's go to Dave and Buster's. And you say, sure, Levi, sure, we'll, we'll do that one day. That is the end of you. Okay? Why? Because every week, every month, what was perceived as a promise is clung to and repeated. And of course, we parents sometimes make casual statements that we don't mean. Of course we do. All of us do. Here's the thing. God never makes a casual statement that he does not mean. He's not like us parents. What he says, he means and what he means, he says. So Daniel says, 
God, you're the one who said you'll take us to Dave and Buster's. He says, God, you're the one who said you'd be merciful. You're the one who said you'd restore us to our home nation after 70 years. Now it's your reputation that's on the line. So here's my question for you. What has God said to you through his word that you can pray back to God and put his reputation on the line? Let me give you a few examples Jesus said, all authority is given, Matthew 28, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. So go and make disciples of all nations. We can claim that. Lord, help us to make disciples in Stratford. You said we're going to make disciples in all nations. That includes America. Help our missionaries that we support from the Mill Church make disciples of all nations. You said it. Help us reach lost people. Psalm 2.8. Ask of me. I will give you the nations as your inheritance, says the Lord. Lord, help us reach every tribe, every tongue, every nation with your goodness. So we can say, God, this is what you said. In all this craziness of COVID, in Afghanistan, in Hurricane Ida... We're asking you to build your church. What about the one that says, Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I would suggest to you that's a promise we can hold. To Jesus. Jesus, you said it. You said the gates of hell won't come against it. Well, God forbid if a hurricane's going to come against it. God forbid if a virus is going to come against it. You're going to grow your church. You're going to win the lost. You're going to draw people to yourself. How can I be a part of that? Number two. And again. Those don't exactly apply to my situation, Pastor, those ones you're talking about. You're a, you're a preacher. Of course you want to reach the lost. My, my, my issues are a little more practical to everyday life. Here's what I would say, and I want to say it as nicely as possible. If you want to pray promises that appeal to you, you've got to read the Bible. You've got to know what those promises say. You've got to go digging You've got to mine the gems for yourself. Number two, make it a daily habit. If you're going to find the $20,000 pair of Air Jordans in a closet at work, you've got to make it a daily habit to look. Daniel 6, we saw that Daniel prayed three times a day, every day for 70 days. Years. I've told you Daniel's remarkable life goes all the way back to a simple, uh, some may even say mundane decision that he made when he was a young man. First, do you remember he said, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's meat. I'm not going to eat what you're eating. I'm going to eat what God told me to eat. But then he said, but then he prayed daily. That was his second thing. He decided, I'm going to pray three times a day. 
I'm going to face the city of Jerusalem. I'm going to effectively trust that God's going to take his people home where we came from. And from that daily time, Daniel drew an enormous amount of strength. Did you know it was the same with Jesus Christ? The Gospels tell us that whenever Jesus needed strength or wisdom, he retreated to, by himself to do what? To pray. Jesus spent all night in prayer before choosing his co-workers. You would think that of all people, Jesus would have been cool choosing his co-workers without praying. But yet he went to God before choosing the disciples. Do you remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? He invited Peter, James, and John to go along. He told them, sit here and pray so that you may not fall into temptation. What did they do? They fell asleep. He came back and caught them. Woke them up. Rocked their shoulder. I, I've said before, I imagine they woke up pretending to pray. And bless the missionaries, Lord, and just, just keep... Some of us make tragic mistakes in life because we don't meet with God. Can I just put it bluntly? And to be clear, this isn't, I'm not talking about time for you to dump a bunch of stuff on Jesus that he already knows. What I'm talking about is spending time with him communing with him, having him fill your heart and his mind with, with his spirit so that you hear his voice before you raise your voice. So that you hear his voice because you've heard it in your time alone with him. You recognize the shepherd. Strength for God comes from time with God. This is the lesson from Daniel. Listen, the biggest practical difference between success and failure in your spiritual life, and I would say bleeding into every other area of your life, is going to be setting your alarm clock 30 minutes earlier so that you can just spend some time with your Heavenly Father. That is probably the greatest, like if, if I were to walk away from ministry today, this morning, that's probably the greatest piece of practical advice I could give from this pulpit. Get up 30 minutes earlier and spend time with your Heavenly Father. This is what Daniel did. Prayer is one of those things. You ever heard of a keystone habit? Leaders write books on this. A keystone habit is a habit that actually creates other healthy habits, like working out, for example. If you work out, do you sleep better or sleep worse? Oh, okay. So you actually sleep better too. If you work out, do you typically eat better or eat worse? You eat better. Why? Because you grow in confidence. 
you start seeing your body change shape. Prayer is kind of like one of those, one of those habits. It's a keystone habit, just like budgeting. Does, does budgeting help you spend less or more? So budgeting is a keystone habit. You spend less. Does budgeting help you save less or save more? You save more when you, when you budget. Prayer is like a habit that, that helps you to avoid temptation. That's another habit that the habit of prayer creates. Prayer helps you cultivate the habit of paying attention to the needs of others as a habit. Because when you're full of the Spirit of God, you're just less aware of yourself and you're more aware of the people around you. Number three, don't give up. So if you missed those points, the first point was root your prayer in God's promises. The second point was make it a daily habit. And the third, don't give up. Daniel had been praying to return home for 70 years. Let me ask you, have you given up and lost faith regarding a prayer request of yours? Because throughout the scriptures, God teaches us that some answers to prayer come through nothing short of persistent asking. There's even a story. Jesus compared it to a neighbor who shows that you're up at your house at 3 a.m. in the morning to borrow a Pop-Tart. Essentially. Why do you let the neighbor in? Because he's persistent. Because you want him to stop knocking on your door at 3 a.m. Looking for Pop-Tarts. So what do you do? You go in your pantry. You find the brown sugar and cinnamon. And you give them to him. Leave me alone. And Jesus says sometimes that's how God responds to prayer. When you keep knocking on his door at 3 a.m. in the morning. He listens. When you're persistent. Last one. Hope in God's mercy, not in your goodness. What Daniel says in verse 18 might be one of the most significant secrets of prayer. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. In other words, God, I'm speaking to you. God, I'm asking you, not because I am worthy of you even giving me your time. Not because, Lord, um, I, have, I have something to laud or celebrate about myself and you ought to pay attention to me. No way. I'm asking you because of your rich storehouse of grace that you just dispense in spite of my unworthiness. In other words, it might look something like this. God, nobody is going to come to faith on a Sunday morning just because I explain something the right way. Lord, nobody is going to come to faith on a Sunday morning because... Um, I, can, I cannot change a human heart with a, a human personality. It can't work. 
Only you, Lord, can draw people to yourself. It's not, it's not because of, of my righteousness. It's because, Lord, of your great mercy. Friend, you can never hope too much in God's goodness. By the way, this is what we're, we're saying when we pray in Jesus' name. Are you aware of that? The reason we don't pray in our name is because we're not worthy to do that. God's not going to answer our prayer because we're cool or handsome or athletic or wealthy or responsible or organized. He's going to answer our prayer because he's good. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We're saying, Lord, this is out of your grace and goodness. Not anything I've done. So here's what I'll say. In conclusion, last couple sentences, we'll pray. Teaching on prayer is the second time we've done it in about a month. Based on the text we've read, if you're new, we just kind of walk through the scriptures. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Teaching on prayer is, is, is great. It, it really is. It's great. Reading about prayer is great. It's great. I, I should say it's fine. It, it could be helpful. Some people read more books about prayer than they do pray. Some people preach more on prayer than they pray. Here's what I say. The most important thing we can do is not to preach about it, is not to read about it, is to what? It's to pray. That's the most important thing. God wants to hear us. God treasures us. He knows every hair on your head. He knew you before, and that's not a lot for some of you. He knew you were, but for others of you, that's a challenge. God can do it. He knows every number. He knew you, were, you were, when you were in your mother's womb, before you were in your mother's. God conceived of you before you were conceived. He loves you. So spend some time with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that you would draw us to yourself. I pray, Father, that we would take seriously this charge to pray, that we would learn from Daniel, who faced Jerusalem, who prayed three times a day, not because it was rote, not because he had established a habit, but because he enjoyed you. Lord, I just pray that we would enjoy your company. I just pray, Lord, so much more important, although we, we love these things and are soon going to start promoting them, the men's groups and women's groups and life groups, and is daily communication with you. That is where our spirituality flourishes. Lord, we, we believe, I, I trust, I pray that you adore us 
Help us to get alone with you. Claim your promises. Enjoy your company. In Jesus' name, amen.